It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, home of the world's greatest artists, TLC, Gladys Knight, India Ari, Indigo Girls, and Hartsfield Atlanta Jackson Airport, the Falcons, and Clark Atlanta University. This is The Bright Side with Technicia, a daily show with real people with real experiences. And now, here's your host, Technicia. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to The Bright Side with Technician. Glad to have you on. Thank you for tuning in to my previous show where we spoke to Pauline Middleton on one woman and three men. And I appreciate for people listening to that. And um, please comment. Give me feedback. They're always welcome. Hit me up on Facebook. I have my Facebook fan page, The Bright Side with Technician. You can follow me on Snapchat, TKDay4. I am social media all over, Periscope, you name it, I'm probably on any one of them, except probably Tumblr and uh, Flickr and all these other ones, but yeah, on the main ones. But anyhow, I have a good show, and I have a good person on with me. I know a couple of my friends who are interested in animation and who actually love to do I have one fantastic coworker, and I've got to make sure I tag her this show because she could draw her butt off. So I know she'll definitely be interested in this one. You know, this takes me back to watching all the Disney cartoons. I can't even think of the one. Um, it'll come to me later um, on a young lady who was trying to fight like the men, but her father forbid it. I can't think of it, but I'll think of it later on. But anyhow, let's get to the nitty-gritty of this. I have with me actually the guy who's behind the scenes of all this. Um, the name of the animation is Orient City, Rona and Apprentice. It's a summer. Um, samurai spaghetti western that mixes the characteristics of the American Wild West and uh, feudal Asia. And if you took classes with me at Clay State University, then you definitely know about this with uh, Professor Barner, because that's all we talk about, Orientalism and all the Disney cartoons, possibly. So this should be very intriguing. But this is awesome to have him on. I cannot wait to get started. So do call in at 347-426-3751. I almost forgot my number. And if you're listening to the replay, kudos to you. Thank you so much for being on. I am so glad to have you, Ryan. How are you doing, darling? Oh, thanks. I'm doing great. How are you? It's Mulan, by the way. Is it the one you're looking for? Ah, thank you. I was trying to think of a Mulan because I love that cartoon. And, and you know, I watch – um. I actually, I am guilty. I watched Once Upon a Time that comes on ABC, and they actually had, like, a little character from there, Mulan. I was like, this is so awesome. Like, <laughs> if nobody has seen Once Upon a Time, it's like a fairy tale turned into the badness, like everything your mom talked you about. Uh, I've seen it. I, I love I've it. I've seen it. My girlfriend, my girlfriend watches it, so I, I sit and watch it with her sometimes. Yes, it's my favorite. I, I, I could watch it all day. I, and if I don't watch it on Sundays, I got on my DVR, but I do. I love it. Um, <laughs> I mean, Romp is still skinny now. Um, I just watched Jucka, Mr. Jucka, um, Jucka, Mr. High, all of all the characters in there. But anyhow, enough about me and what I watch. Um, Ryan, so let's get down to the nitty-gritty of it. Um, what brought this idea on for this animation? Uh, well, it's uh, my partner on the project is named Jumber Huska, who's actually an artist from Budapest. And we had just finished a graphic novel, and we were doing a book tour for it. And you have a lot of really long trips in the car. <laughs> it's a, a lot of boredom uh, because you go to these conventions and stuff, and your table isn't always flooded with people, so you have a lot of free time. Uh, to sit there and think. And he was sketching uh, Batman Samurai, 
uh, art print. And, and we just were going back and forth on uh, what happens if Batman lived in the samurai culture, this world where you couldn't use guns and it was a samurai world. And then we realized, obviously, we weren't going to make a Batman movie or a Batman book. So we said, all right, let's keep going with this world and turn it into our own thing. And that became Orient City. So it actually didn't even start with an idea. It started with a drawing uh, of Batman as a samurai. Oh, wow. And speaking of Batman, you know, people flipping up with the movie Batman, um, Superman versus Batman. I have not went to go see it yet, but I'm hoping. I, I even have the shirt, so I'm pretty a big fan of either superhero, but just to have both of the characters in one movie now, I think that's pretty awesome. Um, and just the idea of you even creating this, you know. So, t- Ryan, so tell us about your film in your own words. Orient City is about a fallen samurai who wastes, is wasting away in an opium den, and he's hired to protect this family, wealthy family in Orient City, which is a pretty violent place, and he's set up to fail, but in protecting the family, he develops a bond with the little kid in the family, and then he fails, ultimately, in protecting the family, uh, and then him and the kid go out on this search for vengeance. Uh, it's, it's violent. It's not necessarily for kids. Uh, it's more along the lines of Japanese animation or anime in that regard, uh, because it is violent. Uh, there is, it's uh, essentially if Quentin Tarantino was making an animated film, what would it feel like and look like? Um, but the story elements are ripped more from the Wild West and put into this world that has uh, that's more feudal Asia, but with Wild West elements in it. So any story decision that we make always comes back to, would this exist in the Wild West or would this exist in the Orient? Um, And if if the answer is no, then we lose it. Or or we tweak it so that it does, it fits appropriately into that world. It's hand-drawn. It's hand-drawn, which you don't see a lot of in independent animation anymore. Um, But that's where our hearts are. Uh, my first film was actually uh, a first feature film was a CG animated film called Battle for Terra, uh, right out of grad school, and um, you know I was as a producer and I'm really proud of it. It was an animation studio that we built from scratch, but uh, it's just it's such a lifeless movie, uh, and uh, if I can say that about my own film, uh, I'm sure, proud of yeah. it. it. We have a great voice cast, but there's just something about it that lacking uh, and there's a few things obviously that I you know in hindsight wish I did differently but um, uh, for me it's the CG versus hand-drawn and the lifelessness of it at least the way we did it and I mean if you're doing a movie for kids it's different because you're not necessarily dealing with human characters you know, you're dealing with toys that come to life or animals that come to life and things like that when you're drawing humans I don't think that a computer captures the essence of a person. They always are lifeless behind the eyes. Um, So for that reason, most animation for adults deals with human characters. Right. There's something just soulless about it. Uh, You know, and there, there is artistry in CG animation, but you see more of the computer and less of the artist's hand at work. And I think with hand-drawn animation, you see more of the artist hand. You know, I think I don't think there's any debate that Miyazaki is an artist, as opposed to uh, someone that directs CG animation. Movies like Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away and My Name Is Toro. These are works of art. They're not just films. Kind of like the Why? original Disney, the original Disney films. Um, right, or, or right, something okay. like Milan, which is 2D, and you're dealing with people actually drawing each frame. Right. Okay. Then I'm glad you. I'm glad you stated all that, and just the fact that you know that this is not like one of your Disney cartoons. It's not something that a parent would want their child to watch. But um, why? No, you probably get the uh, bad parent of the year award. <laughs> 
sit your kid down right. and say, hey, enjoy you this animation. What? <laughs> What's wrong <laughs> with you? <laughs> but, um, you know, because I took film classes up to at Plain State University. Oh, God, my professor. Boy, she was a hard one. Thank you, Dr. Bonadol. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we studied a lot about Orientalism, which was, you know, a term used by a lot of scholars in art history, focusing on, like, the culture studies for the depiction of Eastern, like you're doing with Western, but you still have that Oriental culture. So throughout this animation, you'll find a lot of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said, every okay. decision that we have comes back to uh, would this exist in the Orient or would this exist in the Wild West? Uh, and for the most part, they if it's something that would exist in the Wild West, give it uh, characteristics of something that would fit in feudal Asia. So, you know, your typical wanted poster that would, it would look like a typical wanted poster, but it would be on rice paper with kanji symbols. Okay. You know, like the, 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 so it's like combining all of those elements. Right. And and one of probably one of my favorite cartoons, most of all, dealing in that area of Orientalism would be Aladdin. Because, um, I mean, Orient, I mean, if you look at Orientalism, it still is present in Western society today. Um, and going back with Aladdin, you know, I mean, it was criticized a lot because we had to study a lot of Disney cartoons. That was one of the main cartoons out of um, The Princess and the Frog. Of course, we, we depicted on um, the stereotypes in the cartoons and one of the things about Aladdin that was criticized was the lyrics. Because when, when the actual the song, when the song says, well, they cut off your ear if they don't like your face, it's barbaric. But hey, it's home. It deminimizes Aladdin's home and then allows you to really recognize it's uncivilized and it's barbaric. So a lot of these things go on in this cartoon. So I really can't wait to actually see it myself. Um, when is the production oh, coming you. out? Uh, right now, we're running a Kickstarter for uh, some of the production costs, uh, and that ends on June 3rd. Uh, but we're already in production, essentially. You know, you can see the first shot of the film is done, which is this. Ep- the city stretches vertically. It does not stretch. It's not flat at all. It's built on rocks that jut up, uh, which is something that we wanted to do just because we thought it was cool. Uh, and we didn't want this to be a traditional world that anyone had seen before. Uh, so the first shot goes from the water all the way up. Uh, it's like a two-minute opening shot. Uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, totally tangent to your question. December 1st will be done. Oh, so, okay. So uh, uh, December 1st will be finished everything, all the animation, all the score, all the uh, voiceover work, everything like that. Uh, and it'll be able to be viewed uh, in December for the holidays. It was important for our, for us to be able to get it out for the holidays so that, because uh, when you do a Kickstarter, you offer things outside of the movie, T-shirts, posters, art prints, uh, things like that. Um, so it was important for us to have them available for everybody for the holidays if they're getting it as a gift. So we're not... We're not dense enough to think that everyone loves samurai westerns, but uh, there is a chance that you know somebody out there does, and someone gets it as a gift for them. Right. Well, I, I'm sure people. Well, when you're stuck in a box, yeah, people don't understand. But times are really changing. People are opening up more, so hopefully this cartoon won't be offensive to most. Um, so Ryan. Doing this animation. No, to get, say, can I um, can I get back to your point? Because uh, I, I I feel like maybe I skipped an answer on uh, what you were talking about with uh, Aladdin and stuff like that. Um, oh yes, I think yes. some of the I think some of the backlash on Aladdin, not the movie itself, was in the casting because obviously this uh, good-looking white kid is not from the Middle East, the kid that voiced the character. And Aladdin doesn't even look like he's from the Middle East, right? It's important for me uh, and John Bohr moving forward that all of the cast, the voices reflect the nationality of the character in the piece. Um, 
so the little girl is uh, more on the Japanese side looking. Um, not, everyone's kind of a mix in the world. Right. But people are people. People are darker. People are lighter. Uh, but I'm not just going to cast them. Uh, you know, for lack of a better term, like Disney actress who. Why? Disney. Just because yeah, she's I, popular. Why? I'm going to cast an Asian actress to play that part. Um, even why? though it's just the voice part, because it's then it's like I was saying before about the soullessness of CG a little bit, like, I think that needs to extend from the top all the way to the last detail, uh, and I think that's important. So um, if there's a dark-skinned character, then it should be voiced by a dark-skinned actor, uh, whether it's Indian or uh, Asian or, um, you know, a black actor. You know what, and that. I- you know what, not even thinking of that, I think that's a valid point. I didn't even think of it that far, you know, just looking at the basics of it when they did Aladdin, because um, he's one of the protagonist characters of the film. Unfortunately, you know, the characters perceived as the good ones, they speak with American accents when you really think about it. And that makes a valuable point. If you're going to do a cartoon, if you're going to portray this character, have someone behind the voice um, with that same accent, the same ethnicity, some of that sort. That made darn. Why you got me to thinking about that? Like that would have been boy, that would have been a good valid point at Dr. Bonnet class. She would have loved you. Like seriously, at all the time I'm taking her class, I don't think we ever spoke on that factor behind the scenes of it all. We spoke on what Disney was actually doing when they portrayed these cartoons. There was a lot of stereotypes going throughout the cartoons, showing feminism um, sexism, all that. Um, yeah, I mean, re- really, when you really learn about these cartoons, you're like, you know what? I don't want to watch Disney anymore. Because <laughs> then you start talking yeah, there, about I think they're, like, they're a reflection of their time, right? Like, it's hard to judge the people that made them because this was the culture at the time. Right, Aladdin, that was then. Because Aladdin was made in the 90s, right? So um, right. there's no excuse for it. But, I mean, if it's a reflection of the culture at the time of Aladdin, that's different. But, um, you know, at the time of in the 40s and stuff, you know, like that's, that's how people were raised. That's how people were brought up. I'm not uh, forgiving anything that um, that was done right. or, or depicted. But uh, for me and our Orient City, actually, it was important to do the opposite. Um, I, I grew up with around strong women and – I wanted this work because the Wild West, most of the films set in the Wild West, all the women are very much secondary, tertiary characters that are stepped on, um, you know, that are there to be the man. And, you know, uh, right. in the Wild West, they're working in a brothel for the most part. So it was important for me to depict all the women as extremely strong characters. So the little girl in it, uh, she's not this meek, helpless kid, right? Uh, she actually, she doesn't want, the term Ronan and the Princess and the sort of subtitle of it all is kind of a play on the princess because she doesn't want to be a princess. She wants to be a great warrior. She's more oh, like, okay. um, she's more like Mulan or she's more like right. Jen Wu from so Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, mm. who you right. introduced to her at first and she's this classically beautiful dainty girl and then yeah she's this badass and you know that's that's what this character wants to be she doesn't want to be a princess so it's kind of a play on that um and she she wants to be a great warrior uh and i go back to a movie like kill bill where the women are the toughest in that movie um and Mm -hmm. i i think that's awesome i think that's great and i'm not saying that just to hit some sort of niche and say like oh look at us look what we're doing uh, we're different. We're, you know, I, I just actually find enjoyment out of that. Uh, and with the casting stuff, it's, I don't even think it's something I think of consciously, just subconsciously. I want it to be correct. I want it to be great. I want it to be exact. And I, for, for me, that means what is the best reflection of that? And that's casting 
people who fit that part the best, not people who are going to sell the movie the best. And I think a lot of casting choices are made for that reason. I think it's the wrong reason right. a lot of times. And, like, you know, for a live-action movie, if you're going to cast, uh, say, a light-skinned person in a role that was supposed to go to a darker-skinned person, and you can justify it as, well, he's a bigger star. Well, you know, this movie costs X amount of money. I need to justify that. We're talking about voices. You know, if someone's face isn't going on the poster of this, so the, the least you can do is cast the right person for the part. Right. Um, you know, and I, I'm glad it's, it's, not, it's not some sort of uh, do-gooder attitude that I have that's like, well, you know, there's not enough roles for this or that. It's just that's obviously part of it, but if if the role is for an Asian person, cast an Asian person. The role is for an Indian person, cast an Indian person. I think it's just common sense to some degree, and I think a lot of people don't use common sense chasing a dollar, which is right, right. And I'm so glad that you're that you are actually saying it that way. That you're you're making a new comeback um, to this because we, if anybody studied film. I mean, you see it throughout all the films. They do it on majority of your films. They cast the wrong people, and you're right. They do it because this character, he's a big star. She's a big star. It doesn't matter. Even we have to paint paint your faces. And, and I know it was no excuses probably back years ago, but that's what they did a lot of times. Instead of just um, having an African-American, you you paint the white faces, um, black. So, you know, this is stuff that's been carried on through history that's still being portrayed through history, but we don't focus on it. So <laughs> I'm glad Ryan is speaking on it and um, that, you know, you made your character uh, a badass woman on screen, just like uh, the Braves. She didn't want to be She didn't want to be the, the queen. She wanted to get out there and fight, shoot the arrows. You know, this is what we're looking for. This is the new black for us. You know, this is the new day and time. Women, um, hey, Women are more dangerous than men now, so I love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, then a tough woman on screen. I I say cool. Doesn't, doesn't that reflect reality? Doesn't that reflect it reality? Does. All the yeah, uh, I'm scared of women. We no more about them. We are. Yeah, we I mean, combat. I'm. Listen, I'm. I grew up introverted. I'm, I was extremely shy. Talking to women was scary. Girls scare me. <laughs> Right. You see women nowadays, they carrying pistols and everything. It's not just a man anymore. But, um, Ryan, what actually got you to become an illustrator? What what caught your eyesight to do this? Well, I actually grew up wanting to draw comics. Uh, I played sports my whole life, uh, so that was the biggest okay. focus for me growing up. And, but, I, I, you know, I always – all, all I did, well, I was extremely shy and introverted. Um, thank, thank God for sports because I, that was like my social set and the way I was able to break through and be social. Uh, but I, I always spent a lot of time alone drawing. Uh, and when it came time for high school, I, I wish I could have went to an art school type thing, or I was always thinking maybe I'll go to art college. But I played sports and I went to school to p- college to play sports and. <laughs> You know, the sports world and the art world don't necessarily mesh um, personality-wise or, you know, there aren't any art schools that offer big-time lacrosse programs. And, you know, you put those dreams aside to follow another dream. Uh, it wasn't until I, I went overseas in England. I went to Cambridge for a bit to study. And it was the first time I kind of left the bubble that I was brought up in. I'm from Long Island, New York, and... No, I'm from a middle-class neighborhood, and uh, I, I think a lot of people can probably relate to this, that, you know, you grow up and you think, or, or you're told, essentially, uh, you can be a fireman, you can be a cop, you can be a lawyer, you can be a doctor, uh, you can work on Wall Street if you're from the tri-state area. The career in the arts isn't anything that's realistic or pushed or, you know, things like that, so... As I got older, I was pushed away from that, and I went to school thinking, I'm going to put a cross, and then I'll probably work on Wall Street or go to law school. It wasn't until I left and went overseas that I was able to leave the bubble that I had kind of grown up in. And I 
took stock of my life and said, wait a second, lacrosse is going to end uh, one day and I'm going to need to do something <laughs> other than lacrosse. What what can I do? Uh, and at that point, John had passed me by. Uh, you know, I was uh, since he didn't stick, you got to stick with it and you got to do it every day and you got to really love it. And uh, as much as I loved it, I wasn't as good as if I would have stuck with it. So I said, what can I do? And I looked at a, a shelf behind me. I remember this pretty vividly. And all the books that I had that I was reading for fun were film books. But they weren't film books like Who's Sleeping With Who and all the racier stuff. It was film lighting, uh, structure on screenplays, uh, film editing, boring, boring textbooks on film that I found interesting and I was consuming in mass. And I said, wait a second, I'm pretty smart. I love this stuff. Maybe I can actually do this for like people actually make movies. It, was, it dawned on me that it wasn't some fantasy land where, you know, people in made movies. Like it was real people like me that decided I'm going to go make a movie. So I came back and I, <laughs> dropped everything and pursued that full force and it's kind of been no looking back since then. I know that was a roundabout way of answering your question, but it wasn't an easy answer because it, it took time. It, it it was an evolution of who I am as a person and it still happened. Right. And that's, no, that answer was perfect because, I mean, in my opinion, that's how you began. That's how we got to know how you actually began. So, hey, that was it wasn't long at all. That was a minute answer. Hey, that was it was perfect. Um, Thank you. Now, because we know that this, we know this animation is hand drawn, which I find that very creative. Um, wow. Um, why did you? Why was it decided to use this traditional medium? And were you influenced by any new technology? Yeah, this is definitely a mix of. Uh, my 3D CG background and hand-drawn uh-huh. uh, because we're it's hand-drawn on tablets. So we start with uh, sketches sometimes on paper and we'll scan them in and uh, develop it that way. But okay. the animation itself is done on a tablet, hand-drawn, essentially a tablet acting like an animation cell. And then we'll do the backgrounds hand-drawn uh, and then add CG elements to them and uh, visual effects in the computer. It's just, e- listen, it's just easier it's, uh, uh, to, to blend all the layers that go into a frame of animation. And we get a unique look by adding some CG elements like wind particles and dust and things like that that give it a richness that we kind of wouldn't get uh, with just straight up scanning in uh, or video or photographing cells, animation cells. Um, the reason we did hand-drawn was, uh, to be honest with you, it was never a question. It was never, should we do this CG or should we do this hand-drawn? It was always just assumed <laughs> between my, John Bohr and myself. Uh, I, I don't know why that it was going to be hand-drawn, but both of us, that's our that's our goal. That's our dream is to be doing hand drawn movies. Like I had said earlier, Battle for Terror for me. Uh, again, I'm really proud of it. We have a great voice cast for it. Uh, you know, I built we built this studio from scratch, this animation studio right out of grad school. Uh, but I watched that movie and I have no joy. <laughs> I just uh, it's soulless to me. It's really soulless. So. I'd always rather be making hand-drawn stuff just because if you're going to do something independently, especially a lot of times it's, you need to be in love with it. Not 99%, 100%. It needs to be something you're right. obsessed with. And uh, I, I realized that. And it was, uh, like I said, I'm still evolving and you're still learning these things. And sometimes you do something and it doesn't turn out exactly how you had hoped. And as I get older, I realize life is short and you need to do the things that you really, really love. And for me, that's hand-drawn animation. 
just because of the art that's involved in it. Like I said, I grew up wanting to draw comics, and I didn't grow up wanting to do CG artwork. Well, I think it is. It's amazing to just have that. got to have that patience, that time. But we are not done with Ryan just yet. I want you to stay tuned, and we'll be right back after this commercial break. And don't forget to call in at 347-426-3751. Thought it was over? Not yet. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Blog Talk Talk Radio, baby. Who is my favorite color? What's yours? What's yours? Red is my favorite color. What's yours? What's yours? Well, yellers sweller for this little feller. And me, I'm keen on green. So what's your favorite color? Tell us, please. Kids will spend 20 minutes listening to songs like what's this. Your favorite color? Tell us, please. What's your favorite color? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite? How about two minutes to brush their teeth? Brushing for two minutes now can save your child from severe tooth pain later. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. Two minutes, twice a day. Play at the time. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives and the Ad Council. I want to thank my mommy for loving me so much. For taking me out to the park, for reading me books, for taking, taking me to the doctor when I broke my foot in ballet rehearsal, for leaving me alone when I wanted to be alone. And, and now, as a grown-up, I'm thankful for being able to take care of you, my dear mom, for having the chance to take you to the park, for reading you those books we enjoy so much, for being able to take you to your therapies after you twisted your ankle, for understanding that sometimes... You simply want to be alone. Roles change without us noticing. And in your new role, we help you help. Visit aarp.org caregiving to get practical health and wellness tips to provide even better care for your loved ones. Remember, visit aarp.org caregiving. AARP, we help you help. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. All right, we're back with Ryan, and he is the creator, one of the creators behind the new Samurai Western animation, Orient City, Rona and the Princess, and it is, it's awesome. Like, we're getting out of the stereotype of it all. This is a strong, powerful woman, just like your Brave, your Milan, your Kill Bill, all of these women. The Matrix, Trinity, another one added on to the list, the badass. That's right. Um, but, Ryan, you had a campaign going on. Also with um, crowdfunding, are you still doing that for the animation? Yeah, it's on Kickstarter. Uh, okay. We're about halfway through. We got just about two weeks left from today. Uh, it's going. The response has been really good. Oh great! Um, How much yeah, did you camp- need to make the movie? Uh, we need. Uh, well, the campaign's for thirty thousand, which okay. honestly seems like a seems like a small fortune to me. Um, but it's a little bit less than that in terms of what we need okay. to make it. But you got to take into account Kickstarter fees, credit card processing fees, and then the cost of rewards like T-shirts and shipping and things like that. So, so there's a little bit of a, a difference in what it costs to make it and the Kickstarter amount because you got to take into account right. some of those extra things. Okay. I got you. Now, with um, creating the process and creating this film, how long did it take to make each illustration? Ooh, uh, about two years for all for all of it. Uh, wow. we, we were on that book tour that I mentioned earlier when it was the genesis of it in 2014, in March of 2014, and we've been building the world. For, since then, you know, a lot of it has been going back and forth, just like, what about this character and what about that character? And, 
sometimes we would come up with characters and not even have a a reason for them at the time and just be like, all right, he's cool looking, put a pin in him. And then we'd wind up with uh, finding it, figuring out like what a gang in this world looks like. And then being like, oh, remember that character that we had? What if he's the leader of this gang? Right. And, uh, and then kind of like re- going backwards like that. Uh, so it took about, I'd say, uh, a year and a half of that and world building before we even kind of fleshed out, started fleshing out the main story and then figuring out the story that uh, Orient's, the Ronin and the Princess kind of is, which is, uh, which happened uh, last, late last summer where I was like, kind of nailed it in terms of this is the entrance into this Orient City world that we want to take. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, to me, it seems like you have just really mastered your own individual anesthetic and method storytelling that's um, actually setting these new standards in Hollywood today. I th- that's pretty awesome, you know. I think you're getting up. It almost sounds like you know with the filmmakers like Tim Burton and all them. Uh, um, there were some great other great filmmakers, but out of out of all the animated features, which one would you say Paul was your favorite? All time, uh, my favorite is. Uh, there are special places in my heart for th- something like Aladdin or Lion King, um, mm-hmm. but my all-time favorite is uh, called Princess Mononoke, which is a film by Hayao Miyazaki. I don't know if you've ever seen oh. it. Uh, no, I I never heard of that one. No, oh, I'm gonna have to check that one out. I sure will. I'll, I'll probably say one of mine was Dumbo, and I, I guess because the fact that they had a character in there that really didn't speak at all through the whole movie, um, and it was it was the style of it. It was so cartoony. Uh, I loved the music. All the characters were so funny. It was fantastic. Um, a little long. Oh, um, but it was a it was a, it was a well told story and also emotional. You know, um, I think that probably mostly out of all of the Disney cartoons, that's probably the best one for parents and children to actually watch. Oh, it's so heartbreaking. Uh, that's in my top ten. Uh, yeah, I actually did my top ten the other day and posted it on social media, just as like, hey, here are my top ten westerns. Here are my top ten samurai films. Here are my top ten animated films. Uh, Right. Dumbo's in my top ten for sure. I, it's funny that you said it's long. That's a. For, I actually revisited it pretty recently. It's it's like kind forty five minutes long. Yeah. Okay. Man. Uh, that and Prop. Pinocchio are super, super short um, because films back animation back then weren't necessarily they were considered movies, but you know the times are different, and uh, I was surprised with how uh, it was. Like, you know what it was? Uh, at the time, my girlfriend had a, she was four years old. And uh-huh. we, were, we were trying to kill time. So we put in Dumbo. I put in Dumbo, which she loved. And, you know, trying to placate her. And maybe 40 minutes later, she's up in my face. Let's do something. What are we going to do? And I'm like, wait a second. I thought you were watching Dumbo. She's like, she's like, it's over. I'm like, what? Come on, Disney, yeah, make a longer movie. Right, like, look, I thought I was going to get at least an hour break. Oh, Lord, she's back up. Yeah, oh, exactly. Put it back on again. Put it back on. Replay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you that, know, That's um, when I realized, like, wait a second, this thing's short. <laughs> <laughs> that was, maybe a pause. You know, I don't know. Maybe a pause was long for me. Maybe somebody would hit the rewind button or something. That probably would have been. <laughs> you know, my household, it was, child, you better sit on down, especially when mom didn't feel like being father. <laughs> um, but, Ryan, just given that you, you've been around for a little while and have managed to, um, have you managed to find some um, interesting collaborations um, by working on in the film industry? What advice, um, well, let me rephrase, let me rephrase that because that's not how I wanted it to come out. I wanted to actually say, since you kind of been around for a little while and have managed to find some interesting collaborations and, and worked on a few movies and this animation, what advice would you give to anyone that was that was wanting to try and get in on the fun and 
what pitfalls do you think they should avoid given that you have taken advantage of high sight? Uh, filmmaking in general or animation specifically? Um, still, filmmaking in, in general, maybe. What are some things okay, that I, you'll get advice on and to avoid? If, uh, the best thing I can say, all right, so when I decided, because I went to uh, producing school at USC, uh, I had a finance background. And it just made the most sense for me, even though I knew at the end of the day I wanted to be writing and directing, not just producing. Um, uh, it was a, a great move on my part in that uh, now I am intrinsically aware of all of the elements that go into producing. I do my own budgets. I do my own schedules. No one tells me this costs this and this costs that. Uh, and I, I just look at them blankly and nod my head and say, yes, like I, I know what things cost. Um, so that that helped a lot, but uh, when I knew, I knew that that I wanted to be writing and directing, I had written a, a script and set out to try to make it, and it was more expensive than it needed to be because I wrote a bigger script. So I went back and wrote a smaller script, and <laughs> that was bigger than you know because at the time. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have anything necessarily to show as a director other than some short films. And no one's throwing money at you. So I kept going back and writing something smaller and smaller and smaller until I wrote something small enough that I didn't need to go begging for money. I can just go make it. So my, I guess my advice is don't wait for someone to tell you to give you the green light to go make something. If you really want to do this, you need to go do it. Um, it's not to say you shouldn't go PA and work on a few film sets to learn the process and learn how sets work and things like that. But if you have a general understanding, you need to, you literally need to go do it. Can't wait. So the secondary advice I would have there is write something appropriate. Um, write something that with a budget in mind so that you can go do it. Don't say, I'm going to make this movie and it's a million-dollar sci-fi epic, right? Make the movie that's going to cost 50000 or or 100000 uh, It wasn't until I wrote that small, small, small script where I said, I can get this location, I can get that location. If at the end of the day, you know, like, I can get all act. this is fine with all actors that aren't quote-unquote stars and I can pay them scale, which is essentially 100, 125 bucks a day. Um, and it wasn't until that that I was able to direct my first film. So, uh, and I, I'm, like I said, I, I have experience. I have connections, quote unquote. Uh, no one's throwing money at you. So if you really want this and you really want to do it, you need to make it happen yourself. That's the best I can, advice I can give for anyone looking to be a filmmaker. Um, you know, you look at the people that broke through, uh, unless they were coming up through the studio system, it's Kevin Smith. He went and made clerks at a store that he worked at uh, with credit cards. Ed Burns made Brothers McMullen at his family's house on Long Island with uh, equipment that he had. And uh, Darren Aronofsky made pie with a camera that he had and an apartment that he had. Uh, and you need to start somewhere, so go do it. You know, the money that you're going to spend on a live-action short film, figure out the live-action feature version of that and spend that money on a feature because it, there's such a glut of filmmakers because the barrier to entry has gone down with digital filmmaking that anyone can go pick up a camera and do it, which is exciting, but at the same time, there's a lot out there. So you see the numbers for submissions for something like a Sundance or things like that. The numbers are in the tens of thousands. It's insane. Uh, a lot of people just aren't going and making features or at least, feature, you know, they're doing uh, – some, some people get into uh, – so that's my advice. But I would also say my sort of third criteria is don't do this unless you really love it. Because it is really right. hard, and you have to sacrifice. 
I have a lot of people out here, because uh, I'm in Los Angeles now, even though I'm from New York. There's a lot of people that got into this or came out to Los Angeles or Hollywood, quote unquote, to, to uh, you know, for lack of a better term, to, to get girls or to get laid right, or right. to be, be famous. Go do something else. You're just taking up space. You're, you know, right. and those people sometimes they, they fall backward into a project and whether they're producing or directing, um, you know, maybe they'll get a girl. They, they're not making a good movie, though. They will not make a good movie. And every time I've seen it, every time I know somebody that isn't in love with what they're doing, their movie stinks. It's just not good. Right. Because there's no love behind it. Right. They're not focused. They're not focused. Yeah, and there's just no passion there. And if you don't care about the smallest detail, those details stack up on each other. And eventually the whole thing stinks. Right. And I... And I also think, too, going into this industry, um, regardless if, even if you're going into the animation part, um, I think that you don't need to go in thinking you already know everything. You need to you need to learn the fundamental things because I'm sure with animation, the first thing most young people think of is they get so excited because of the technology. Yay, technology. And that can hurt you because um, – you know, that really don't entertain people, especially when you got baby boomers like Tim Burton, people who already went through the process before technology even started, you know. Um, and, but to me, it's what you do with that technology that makes a great film. Because as you said, Ryan, your film can sink. I can make a movie with the highest per camera, uh, paid price lights, um, anything. But if it's not produced, Right, and you didn't take out your time. There's no love behind it. It will stink, and there's a lot of movies that actually stink. And yeah. there are no comments. Yeah, there's no comments. There are no comments at all. But I'm, I'm sort of curious, though, Ryan. Um, as to how many movie ideas don't actually make it to the big screen, and how you know when an idea is movie worthy? Um, do you? Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that? Cause I, I, I uh, well, I mean, I, I worked at the studios for a bit in development, and it's probably for every thirty projects they have, one makes uh-huh. it to the screen. Okay. Uh, wow. And about twenty projects a year get made, so twenty times thirty, and there's your development in terms Woo. of what the studio owns at any given time. Uh, because they're a massive studio, and they need to be. Uh, because sometimes you buy a script knowing that you're going to hire a writer to rewrite it, or you buy a script, and this is I'm talking from a studio, you buy a script thinking, this script is cool, but we need a director, the right director to make it. And it's a, those things don't happen overnight. Or you say, we have the, a script, we need an actor. Or it's, we have a script, we need an actor and director. And those things are long processes, and sometimes they never come to fruition. Or a director says, yeah, I'm going to make this. And then, but I'm making this other film first. So the studio waits on that. And then the director makes that film and either the film isn't good or the film is good. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to make that project anymore. The studio says, we don't necessarily want that director anymore. And then they go back to that script and maybe they don't, maybe they fall out of love with it. Uh, Sometimes what happens, and I saw this firsthand with a project that I had, was uh, the executive that brought the project in loved the project, wants to make it, wants to spend the studio's money on it, that executive either gets fired or leaves to another studio or leaves to become a producer on their own. In this case, it was a high-level executive that left to be a producer. The executive that it gets kicked to doesn't want the project. They're not in love with it. They don't want to spend any money on it. So you're kind of left in purgatory, but the studio still owns that project. Uh, and that happened to me. And it was eye-opening, and I said, I don't ever want to go through this again. I'm going to go make my independent films, and then if the studios come calling, I'll have the leverage. Because at the time, I was really young, and it was kind of like I was lucky to get anyone to call me back, let alone you know, say, what's going on with my project? Um, for me personally, for that question, 
uh, you know, I've been I, – my advice would be do as I say, not as I do, because I spent a lot of time, like I said, writing scripts that were maybe too big for me at the time. So I have more scripts than maybe necessary. Uh, but at the same time, now that I'm starting uh, – now, now that things are rolling for me as a director, I have the next level up script. And then after that, I know, all right, if that's successful, I'll have an entrance into uh, the next level up from that. And I already have my kind of projects in that regard. Uh, in terms of when you know they're ready, personal taste. You know, it's, <laughs> that's all it is. And I think that goes for everything because there's a reason, like you said, there's a lot of bad movies that get made. And some of those movies cost $200 million. And some right. movie costs 500000 and is way better and does more money at the box office. Uh, at the end of the day, it's the personal taste of that filmmaker and the people that were involved with it. Um, sometimes it's a, it's a runaway train. And you find out that executives are in the business of keeping their jobs. That's why that's what they're, they're all trying not to lose their job, which is a terrible, terrible existence. Because if your entire, when you wake up every day and you're just saying, I need, I, I need to not get fired. Your job is to say no. And your job is to not take chances. Your job is to do the easy, the most comfortable, easy thing. And that's, uh, risk adverse strategy. So if you love something, you don't necessarily push it or you don't necessarily make it. What you do is you have a script from a writer that's written a few movies that were decent or were made in the past. Maybe you don't even love the script. Maybe it's not even that great. But you say, well, this writer was already successful, so he, there must be something there. Then you find a director that was moderately successful, and then you fill it with actors that you say, well, if this, if this thing fails, it's not my fault. I found a writer that was, had some success. I found a director that had some success, and I found actors that had, to, that had a following. Um, so everything is so risk-adverse. Rather than finding a project that says, say, I love this script, let's find a unique director that's perfect for it. Um, and it's kind of a – I would never want to live like that. Uh, and I decided kind of from the onset that I wouldn't. And it's been right. a struggle. I'm not going to lie and say I'm living the high life. Um, a lot of people look at me and from the outside and they're like, oh, you must be killing it like financially. And I'm like, because they look at my resume and it's pretty good. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> I just kind of just smile and nod. Sure, what am I going to say? Um, you know, I, I didn't order uh, chicken on my salad because I'm worried about the $2 extra per day. But when you're an independent artist, that's, you know, you don't make money. You're always waiting to break through. But uh, money never really drove me, obviously. You know, I left this. I was coming from Cambridge University, which some consider the best school in the world, uh, studying economics and finance, and left that to pursue this. Um, so it was, it was never a, about money for me. It was never about getting girls for me. It was never about any of those things. Um, I, I always had this thought that money, money will come eventually, <laughs> hopefully one day. Um, I just got to keep doing what I'm doing. And, you know, I, I hear it from my parents a lot. Uh, you know, you need to start thinking about what's next. And I'm like, what do you mean what's next? But what, what's my next project? Uh, and they're like, well, you know, you can't go on making minimum wage forever. I'm like, well, who said? Exactly. So you just need to be willing to sacrifice, and I'm willing right. to sacrifice. I'm, I'll live in my car if I have to. I, that's, I will. That's the I'll, risk I've, that you have to take. Right, those yeah, are the risks. And I spoke about it on my Snapchat. Like, life is about risk, and sometimes it seems like, oh, I don't want to do it, but you have to in just speaking on the fact of money, I went over this, well, one of the mentors went over this on affirmations called um, money. Money can't buy you everything. Um, money is not everything. Money, 
and and I mean it was it was great her notes and stuff. Let me see if I can find it. It was money could buy you a good time, but not a peace of mind. Money could buy you a companion, but not a friend. And and always remember this: you don't attract who you want; you attract who you are. And becoming the person you can changes your goals. Um, so I, you know, I really understand where you are coming from, Brian. You have to be passionate. Anything that you do out here, regardless of news reporter, doctor, lawyer, police officer, whatever your profession you choose, you have to become um, the best at it, and you also need to love it as well. And one thing about loving it, if you are willing to do it without getting paid, then that means you actually love what you do. So, Ryan, uh, first of all, I do want to thank you for coming on to the show again. And also, what is in store for the future? Any more animated films coming out? Or other types. Yeah, of we mean we. So I, I directed a film last year, a live action movie. Okay. Uh, that's called Suburban Cowboy. It is being sold right now, so that's nerve wracking. But I am in the middle of this Kickstarter for Orient City, so it's taking my mind off of it, which is a good thing. Um. So it's called Suburban Cowboy. It'll be out hopefully next year sometime. I don't know where or how or when. Uh, but mostly it's small, so it'll be on a VOD platform uh, type thing. Uh, and then right now my main focus is Orient City and getting this Kickstarter to its goal. And then if if so, we'll be making the film from now until December 1st. Uh, the goal is that this is the first entry into the world of Orient City. So we have you know, we built this entire world past this initial story and we'd like to keep telling stories in that world of Orient city. So in terms of what's next on the horizon animated wise, it's going to be in Orient city. It's going to continue in Orient city. Uh, are there ideas past that? Yeah, there are some that I have, but right now it seems to me like the world is so vast and big in this world of Orient city that we created that I, I, and I really love it. So I'd love to keep telling stories in it, at least for now. I'm sure there's, at some point I'll get burnt out and shift gears and maybe take a break from it. But uh, where And then I have a live-action film that I'm putting the pieces together for, but a lot of that depends on who buys Suburban Cowboy and for how much, and uh, does, is there an, a financier that takes notice of that and of, of me and says, you know, here it is, because it's a bit of a step up. It's still not, you know, in relative terms of Hollywood, it's uh, pennies, but for me, it's uh, these are all small fortunes that I'm trying to raise. Um, so hopefully everything builds on the next. And I have two books, graphic novels, in production as well with John Bohr, my partner from Orient City, but Orient City was burning such a hole in our brains that we put a, a hold on the graphic novels and said we need to focus on these, this uh, Orient City. Um, so you know if you <laughs> when you see it that if it comes to life, it, it is a, a labor of love without a doubt. There's no other way to do but, it. Well, obviously you got yourself planned and you know which direction you want to go and I'm hoping for everything to go well in your path. Ryan, again, thank, thank you, you for coming on to the you are so welcome. I appreciate you coming on. I hope to catch you when your next um, film come out and any other further work that you have in store for us. But before I let anyone go and my listeners, the truth of the day from my friend Mary Ellen is this. Always allow yourself to feel. Being able to feel is one of the most precious gifts God has bestowed upon you. Yet many of you refuse to use it. You refuse to feel and you try to hide how you feel. Your life experiences teach you lessons when you feel the truth that experiences teach it to you. You are what you feel. Think about it. And you are what you love to do. In order for your light to shine, you must accept your feelings and work through them, allowing yourself to face your truth. Today, allow yourself to feel, enjoy the day, and have lots of fun this weekend. Remember, the weekends are for the week. That is not from her quote. That is from me. Practice it. <laughs> Make sure you practice accepting your feelings. Be sure to share these special feelings with your loved ones. God bless everyone. And if you are listening to the replay, share with your friends and your family. 
And, Ryan, you have a blessed one. Enjoy your weekend as well. You too. Thank you so much for talking to me. You are so welcome. Well, my listeners, I am out. You enjoy that weekend. Have fun and stay out of trouble. Thanks for listening to The Bright Side with Technicia. If you like what you heard, tell your dad, mother, cousin, uncle, whomever. Be sure to check out the archive section at www.brightsidewithtk.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.